so we've been uh, going through a series called Wisdom. We've been looking at uh, a lot of the book of Proverbs. We've been taking a look at some historical texts in the Bible uh, and just kind of seeing what the counsel of God would speak to us on the matter of wisdom. And you might think like, well, if I've decided to follow Jesus, aren't I all set? And in a sense, that was the wisest choice that you've ever made with your life if you've chosen to do that. However, uh, Christians, myself included, can still make really foolish choices even though I'm following Jesus because sometimes I'm not following him in every area of my life with every choice that I make. All right, so, so God, because he loves us, would speak to us with his godly counsel, right, wanting us to be wise because foolishness, although perhaps fun at times, comes at a cost. Uh, there's consequence in our future, right, where we might experience uh, difficulty as a result of our foolish choices. And, and God wants us to be free from that foolishness, all right? So, so today I'm going to be talking about an issue that uh, is going to probably be offensive, but I'm okay with that. Uh, we are going to talk about the matter of lust and what the Bible says about it. If you want, uh, if you have children here, I'm not going to get like crass or vulgar by any means. But if you want to like move them to the kids' space, you could. That that would be your choice. All right, yeah, sorry, Ezekiel. I'm sorry. Uh, so uh, so there we go. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to hit anything a little uh, you know too crazy. But uh, on the matter of of lust, the Bible doesn't simply put lust in a category of sinful. It also puts it in a category of foolish. And if I'm, if I'm here to persuade my heart and yours this morning, uh, if I just come at this from the angle of, well, it's wrong, you all know our hearts that we're kind of like, yeah, but maybe just like a little bit would be good though. Because like the, a life without lust is somehow like horrifying to us. We're like, well, I, I don't want to have none of it, right? And, and so we somehow think, like, maybe there's right, some, some way that I can experience God's forgiveness and just, like, have some amount of lust just to keep, you know, just like a little seasoning in my life just to make it a little more entertaining while I'm here on earth. And, uh, and that's not a good idea. Uh, and that's why I want to point out that the Bible puts it in the category of foolish. Because although we, uh, in our own hearts, seem to have a high tolerance for our own sinfulness, we don't want to be foolish, right? No one wants to be foolish. So, so that's the angle that I'm going to try to take with you guys and my own heart today because it is an issue in all of our hearts. Uh, so be careful today. We have to be on guard because our hearts, when hearing what the Bible says on this matter, will have the tendency to reject the truth because we don't want it to be true. And that's actually a terrible means to determine what is true. Okay, like that's not how scientists work in the lab. They don't just like go and be like, well, what do I want to happen and then have that happen, right? You, don't, you shouldn't alter your results, right? That's not a means to discover truth in your life just by what you want to be true. I also want to point this out that what I want to be true, uh, nowhere in this universe can I create things, can I create realities, can I make truth conform to my will or my desires, all right, so, so be careful when it comes to hearing the texts that the Bible gives us uh, in, in the sense that we will have the desire to reject it, but our rejection of it will make us no safer, no wiser, and uh, no closer to the actual truth. 
All right, so, so just be cautious. Don't ignore scripture because you don't like it. Don't avoid its healing correction because sin has, as the Bible says, a fleeting pleasure. But in the end, it is not, not worth it, okay? So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm gonna read the text today, all right? This isn't Brian being like, uh, you guys, right? Like, I'm included in this. All right, I'm going to read the text today, and if, if we find our hearts rejecting this, I want to point out that Proverbs would put that sort of behavior in the category of the fool and the mocker, that when they hear truth and they reject it, or like, no, I think I'm all set, I'm just going to go on with this, or if you want to make fun of God's glorious standard, you're in the category of the fool or the mocker. And I'm not calling you a fool or a mocker. That's something that we will identify in our own hearts today, all on our own, when the, the word of God is presented to us. All right? And, and God lovingly wants you to make wise decisions. So, so don't construct your own doctrine of like, yeah, but I think this, or, or I, wa- I think that God's changed his mind about that. Be careful doing that. Because in reality, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. So I like, I'm, I'm not like, you know, up here telling you what truth is because it's my opinion. All right, what matters is what is actually true, what is actually helpful, what is actually going to produce freedom in the life of God's kids, and that's what I'm told to declare as a pastor. All right, I could lie to you this morning, and we would all leave here a whole lot more comfortable. All right, but we would not leave any safer, we would not leave any wiser, And I would leave under God's judgment for lying to you, okay? So, like, there's this, this, there's greater accountability on those who teach. Also, be careful, all right, because I understand, like, I hope, I hope and pray that there are people here that are not yet followers of Jesus. I hope that you are willing to investigate and and discover what God has for your life and and what he would say to you. So, I understand not all of us are followers of Jesus yet, and, and I hope you are welcome here, Okay? But be careful also, all right? Like, I've got like a lot of warnings on this label, I guess. So, all right, here we go. I know, I know. You're like, he hasn't even started his sermon yet. We're like five minutes in. What is he going to say? Wow. (laughs) Right? Okay, here we go. Uh, But be cautious of, of calling those who believe the Bible is true judgmental. Okay? Uh... We love you, we love the world, we love people just as Jesus does and thinks that they are worth dying for, okay? So be careful of calling what God's standard would be as judgmental because if you reject it, you are actually judgmental and the person you're judging is God. And, and I would not want to place myself in a position where I presume God to be wrong and I right, where I use my own standard of what is good and evil and measure God as unjust against my own law. So just be careful, all right? So, so lots of stuff going on here. Now, now, the reason that this is so important to me, all right, that this is a matter of, of significance, this is a matter of, of importance is that slavery to sin is a bad thing. All right, so I don't want us to just think about like, all right, sexual sin or lust as being, right, well, it's just like, you know, it's not good, but whatever. No, no, Jesus said that we are slaves to that which we obey. And so when I preach this this morning, I'm preaching this as a message that is not anti-sex. 
Because God is, is pro-sex, okay? Uh, I'm not preaching this in, in a category of like, you know, just like, you know, hating on this or whatever, but I'm preaching this because we are anti-slavery in this church. And that Jesus loves you enough to speak the truth, right? That he is full of grace and truth. We're gonna read from the New Testament as well. And we don't want people to be slaves of sin, all right? It would be unloving to encourage them to live a life of slavery, all right? So, so that's what we're gonna be doing, uh, doing today. Now, I'm also gonna share right now my own personal experience where I have failed miserably in this area. And I've probably shared this maybe about once every year since I've been preaching. And I think it's helpful because hopefully you can learn from my own failures, my own mistakes, okay? Also, I think it's helpful for the pastor to be transparent and honest about their past uh, so that you understand like all are welcome into the family of God, like that all are called into relationship with God through repentance and that, that we want to see your life changed, all right? But, but I myself... All right, was married to someone before I was married to Katie. And in that marriage, I brought a sin of addiction to pornography into that relationship. And as a result of my choices and my being enslaved to that, that was my part to play in, in that marriage falling apart. Okay, so that my choices, my foolishness, my lying about my sin led to the loss of a marriage. All right, that, that it cost me something. All right, and so when I speak about this, it's important to me because I want men in our church to be free. I want my children who are growing up, I'm the father of three boys, I want them to be free in this area. Right, I don't want to just like preach a matter of, of comfort and just being like, well, let's just get comfortable with sin, let's ignore this as a problem. No, I want, I want that when a, a woman pursues a man from our church, I want to be able to encourage them in that relationship and saying, like, this guy is worth marrying, all right? I, I want marriages in our church to be healthy and wholesome and, and just full of joy. And, and I don't want us to be slaves of sin. I've experienced this cost myself, and now we're going to read what the Bible has to say on this so that we can have not just Brian's word, but what God would have to say on this matter. We're going to be reading from Proverbs chapter 5, a little bit from 6, and then some in the New Testament. And Proverbs is a book written from a, the perspective of a loving father to his son. All right? And, and it's not like he's like, you know, some, somehow like conniving and trying to ruin his son's life. He's pursuing God's love and blessing and benefit on the life of his son. All right, so that's the perspective that this is coming from. And God the Father has the same heart towards, towards you and I. All right, so Proverbs 5, here we go. All right, man, that took a while just me to, to get to this point. All right, so I've got the verses on the screen. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my counsel. Then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you have learned. For... The lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. So you might be like, well, what, what's the problem? Like, I, I like honey. I like sweet things. That sounds good. What, thanks, Dad, for letting me know that I'm going to go that way now. But the problem is that what we desire, what we crave, is sometimes poisonous. All right? So it says, verse 4, but in the end, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. So this is why he's saying, listen, son, this is why you need to pay attention. 
Because there will be things that you crave, that you desire, that are, right, as the Bible says in in Galatians 5, that our flesh is at war with the Spirit. There is conflict inside all of us on this matter. We will pursue things that are unhelpful, unhealthy, and dangerous for us. Okay, so it's not a matter of like whatever you happen to struggle with in terms of sexual temptation. It's a matter of whether or not you're going to fight that fight. Or are you going to surrender to a life of slavery? And he's warning his son. He's like, pay attention because you're going to want this, but this will bring you harm. Okay? So you aren't safe when you simply follow what your flesh craves. Verse 5. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave, for she cares nothing about the path of life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't realize it. Verse 7. Now... So now, my sons, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to, about to say. He says, stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. If you do, you will lose your honor and you will lose to merciless people all you have achieved. So he's coming to his son from this angle of, listen, there is a fleeting pleasure that sin offers, but in the long term, it will cost you more than you ever intended. It's not worth it. It's in the category of sinful and foolish. And so even though we as believers, right, we can experience the joy of God's forgiveness, that God forgives, all right? Like there's none of these sins are going to be issues that Jesus didn't die for or make way for forgiveness, okay? But we can still, unfortunately, live a life enslaved to sin, even though we could enjoy God's forgiveness. So, so don't settle for that. Don't put yourself in the place of defeat perpetually, right? Don't, don't do that. He says, verse 10, strangers will consume your wealth and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. You will say, how I hated discipline if only I had not ignored the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I have come to the brink of utter ruin, and now I must face public disgrace. So, right, so he, he's suggesting here that sin can cost you all of your achievements, everything that you have gained, that in sometimes a single choice, you can lose, right, your household, your marriage, your family, and other times, it seems as though it takes a, a series of perpetual choices before it gets there. But the one who succumbs to temptation is the one who alone will bear that regret. Right? And, and hopefully, they come to the moment of regret and repentance and turn from it. Right? Hopefully, they do. Some people, sadly, won't ever come to that conclusion. But what's interesting here is that the father's uh, kind of conversation letter that he's writing to his son isn't one of just like, all right, just no sex ever. Like, that's not what he says. Okay? He, in fact, he actually, he's going to go on to suggest that, that he should have a lot of it. Okay? Uh, because God, I don't know if you realize this, created sex. That it's a good thing. It's a gift 
that it's intended for pleasure and for procreation, that it's not something that we as like Christians like reluctantly like, well, I guess if I have to have a baby and this is the only way it happens, it's not like you reluctantly go into that, uh, that it's something that God made for you to enjoy. And, and so this is what the father is, says, and he's somewhat poetic here, and the New Living Translation, like at some moments, will step out of the poetry and just be like, this is what he's talking about. Okay, so, so check this out. Let's see if you could catch on. Verse 15, he says, drink water from your own well. All right, he's not talking about irrigation or hydration problems here. All right, drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets, and then they like step away from the poetry, having sex with just anyone. You should reserve it for yourselves, never share it with strangers. All right, so, so he's not saying, and the Bible's not saying like, never sex. It's saying sex, yes, in the relationship for which God designed it to produce the most joy. All right, that's what he's saying. And let's see, verse 18. And 19, here we go. So uh, men of the church, this will be the verse that even if I tried not to give you a memory verse this week that you will memorize, okay? Because this is, this is a good verse. It's not what the kids upstairs are memorizing, all right? So verse 18, it says, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Verse 19, okay, you guys will memorize this one. Uh, she is a loving deer, a graceful doe, <clears throat> Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. All right, so this is clearly not the stance of anti-sex. All right, <laughs> clearly not, clearly not. Uh, that God has created a, a space in which sex is meant to happen and to be enjoyed, a relationship in which there is safety and assurance and commitment where you are loved and valued. That's what God has designed sex for in the context of that relationship. I, I like the English standard version of the last part of this verse. It says, be intoxicated always in her love. All right, which just so you're aware, when it comes to intoxication, the Bible is against drunkenness. That's not something that we should do. We have the liberty to drink alcohol, all right? And, and like I celebrate the fact that we have that liberty. If, if, that is something that would enslave you, then stay away from it. But the Bible never says, like, go out and get drunk. All right? Intoxication is not something that it would promote. It's, it promotes sober-mindedness. But yet in the context of marriage, in the context of sex, it says, get drunk when it comes to this. All right? That's what it is suggesting. Be intoxicated always in her love. So he doesn't want marriage to be disappointing or unexciting. And in fact, the Bible warns of not enough sex is what the Bible says. That's crazy, right? That's, that's crazy, all right? Maybe you're like, what is, what is this guy saying? He's saying this in church. Like, who is this guy, right? But here we go. So God gives sex for marriage. Let's take a, a sidestep to 1 Corinthians 7 real quick. I'm not probably gonna have time to read all of it. You can go check it out on your own. But 1 Corinthians 7, verse one, written by Paul, the apostle to a church. I love this first part. He says, now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, all right, the church of Corinth asked Paul, like wrote him a letter, so like, Paul, what about this? Or like, what about this situation? Or how about that? And the church was asking Paul about sex. 
right? And like he's now going to answer in this whole chapter, right? He answers all of these questions they had. We don't know what all of their questions were, but that's what he was doing. And like that's the kind of church that I want to be where you are comfortable to ask tough questions, all right? That at the end of the gathering, like, please come find me. Like, you might be like, Brian, I disagree with you, and I, I don't like what you said today. Like, that's fine. Like, ask those questions, and I'll point you to more scripture where it's not just, like, my opinion and just, like, something that I'm trying to promote, okay? Uh, but here we go. He says this. Yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. All right? There's a time in 100% of people's lives where they'll have to practice some form of abstinence because you weren't born married. I hope. All right? Your parents are weird if they did that to you. I'm sorry. Like, what? Did they marry you off as toddlers? Like, that's weird. But no, you, at some point, you're going to have to exercise self-control, whether before you get married or, or maybe after you become a, a widow, unfortunately, right? But let's see, verse 2, it says, but because there is so much sexual immorality. Now, it's contrasting two things. What's the solution to sexual immorality? It says, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. So, by, like, logically analyzing this verse, it would seem to suggest that the only time that, that sex would not be immoral is in the context of marriage, right? Within marriage. That's what that verse is saying, okay? Like, so to avoid sexual immorality, you should get married. And then, all right, here we go. I, 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 like, I'm already offending people today, so let's, here we go. I'm just going to, like, step right in it. And the Bible is so bold to claim that marriage is between one man and one woman. Okay. All right? All right. We love you. We love you, okay? So just understand. We love you. Okay, so, so that's what the Bible says marriage is, and that's what the Bible says is the place in which sex is meant to occur. And that anything outside of that category would be sexually immoral. Now, like I said, here we go. Just because I'm, I'm just going to offend people, it's Okay. I'm not trying to. I love you. I love you so much. Right? I've got three boys. Now, whatever sexual temptation they may face in the future, like, I'm not as concerned about that. All right? If, if one of my kids happens to have a tendency towards homosexuality, right, I'm not, like, going to be like, oh, no! Like, I'm not going to freak out about that because 100% of humans are tempted sexually in some area. 100% of us. Okay, so it's not going to be a matter of whether or not they conveniently have desires that line up with God's will, because none of us have bodies that do that. We are all in a fallen world, and we're all going to have to decide whether or not we will obey the Lord when it comes to our desires, or whether we're going to pursue our own will. All right, so, so it's not like I'm putting that in a special category. It's not somehow a worse sin, because it, it isn't. It's not the unforgivable sin. All right, people like me need to be saved to experience salvation and forgiveness through Jesus, and I have, right, desires that have to be overcome, right, that I have, fortunately, by the grace of God, been able to overcome many of them, all right? So it's not a matter of what category a person is in, what, right, types of temptation they have. It's, it, what matters is, are we going to listen to God's loving counsel for us because he indiscriminately invites all of us into relationship with him, and that does happen through repentance, okay? It doesn't mean that, like, somehow you'll instantly change physically where your desires suddenly conform to the Word of God, because they don't. Like, as long as you have the flesh, it's going to be at war with your spirit and at war with your mind, 
okay? So like, it's not like by becoming a Christian that my flesh and my body changed. I don't get my new body until I go to heaven, all right? And until then, it's at war with what the will of God would be for my life. Okay, so here we go. Hopefully, if you have more questions on that, I didn't have enough time to really give it or do it justice. I'd love to talk to you afterwards. If you are someone in this church who has those desires and, and right, I'd love to talk to you and help you walk through that as far as like, how do you reconcile that with the word of God? Okay, so let's see. So uh, husband and wife, right, are, are meant for one another. That's the place in which sex is meant to happen. Check out verse five. I'm just gonna skip, skip down a little bit. Uh, it says, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy uh, for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. All right, so the Bible is actually warning us, are you guys having enough sex? Like, it's actually warning husbands and wives, like, look out, make sure you're doing this, because uh, it says, right, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. All right, so sex is for marriage. And now I want to I point this out, because this is going to be something that 100% of us are going to face, this sort of temptation. So sex is meant for marriage. And I'd ask you, all right, that if you're a single person, if you're in a relationship, if you're unmarried, don't make a pact, don't make a commitment with your significant other to be unfaithful to the Lord. All right, yeah, it is admirable that you are faithful to one another, that you have the consent of one another, but you don't have the consent of the Lord because our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are not our own, is what the Bible says. So we actually don't have the consent of the Lord anytime we're going outside of the bounds of marriage for sex. Okay? All right, I know it's crazy. I know that's not what our culture believes right now, but, but think about this. Adam and Eve, as a couple, sinned against the Lord. And it was no, like, not somehow like more admirable that their sin was done because they were in agreement with it. All right? Like they sinned against the Lord as a couple. Or Ananias and Sapphira in, in the New Testament, Acts chapter 5, right? They as a couple agreed to lie to the Holy Spirit. Right? They as a couple agreed to sin against the Lord. So just because you're faithful to one another does not mean that you are being faithful to the relationship that matters most. Okay, like, so, so just be aware of that, okay? Don't let your relationship be some sort of mutual pact for the sake of sinfulness, all right? God would have you wait for marriage. Let's get back to Proverbs, all right? Uh, Proverbs, uh, what is it, 5 verse 20. Okay, why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman. For the Lord sees clearly what man does, examining every path that he takes. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. Right? It's, it's slavery to our own desires. Right? They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. So it's, it's not as though that when we choose to follow what we feel, uh, that we're like experiencing some great liberty and freedom. We're actually experiencing slavery. 
That whether that's addiction to pornography or that's fornication or homosexuality or adultery, whatever it is, it's not like you've discovered some great freedom for yourself. What you've discovered is, is slavery and God desperately loves you and wants you to be free, right? So, so don't simply like uh, have some abhorrence for the sins that are uh, outside the area of consent. Don't simply abhor the sins that you don't struggle with. That wouldn't be helpful. That's probably judgmental. All right? Be one who's willing to be at war with the sins that they have in their own heart. All right? Be willing to do that. Like, this matters significantly to us as a church. I don't have time to go there. It's not in my sermon. But read Revelation chapter 2 when Jesus personally speaks to the Apostle John. And he says, like, send these letters to, in, like, two of the churches. They had too high of a tolerance for the sexual sin in their own midst. And Jesus is like, listen, like, I know what's going on. Like, you guys tolerate this sexual sin. You teach it as acceptable. And he's like, you guys aren't even going to be churches anymore if you continue to do that. Right? Like, so, like, it, it matters to us in terms of our success as individuals, our wisdom and freedom as individuals, but also in terms of our ability to set this world free with the gospel that God has given Right? This matters to us as a church community. All right? Lack of self-control is not life-giving. It produces death in us. And, and encouraging someone or yourself to pursue sexual sin would be unloving. All right? It would be unloving. Right? It, would, it would possibly be hateful to do that. All right? So check out Proverbs 6, skipping a few verses down. So he picks it up again. My son, obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instruction. Keep them as words always in your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, their counsel will lead you. When you sleep, they will protect you. When you wake up, they will advise you. For their command is a lamp and instruction and a light. Their corrective discipline is the way to life. Now, why is it so important that we listen to like, instruction from the Lord, in this case, through his, his godly parents, says it will keep you, verse 24, right? It will keep you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of a promiscuous woman. Don't lust for her beauty. Don't let her coy glances seduce you. For a prostitute will bring you to poverty, but sleeping with another man's wife will cost you your life, right? There, there's a great cost when it comes to uh, succumbing to sin, Verse 27, can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Right? You're, you're playing with fire, literally. I don't know if that's where this came from, maybe. Right? And then this verse, I know the way we think. We're going to be like, well, maybe. Uh, can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? And so then we're like, well, maybe I can just get like really close to sexual sin, but not enough that it's going to hurt me. Right? You're, you're already thinking, like, I, no, I think I could, maybe, I might be able to, right? And, and so don't, don't do it. Like, don't be playing with fire. He says, so it is with the man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished, right? So it's not a matter of, like, whether or not, like, you get away with it, whether you get caught or not, but, like, you are inviting consequences into your life that are not worth it. Verse 30, this is an interesting like parallel. It says, excuses might be found for a thief who steals because he's starving. But if he is caught, he must pay back seven times what he stole, even if he has to sell everything in his house. 
But the man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys himself. All right, so sexual sin is not just in the category of sinful, it's in the category of foolishness. All right? I was thinking of titling the sermon like, Lust is for Losers, right? It costs us so much. Like, we don't want to go down that path, okay? It's not worth it. Okay, consider this, right? Uh, sometimes people might like, you know, use the phrase like that they're, you know, they're getting lucky. They're going to get lucky tonight when they're, you know, putting themselves in some situation. But that is not, in fact, the case. You are not, you have not stumbled upon some good amount of luck in your life when you find yourself in that situation. Check out what Proverbs uh, twenty-two fourteen says. I, I, I really like this verse. It says, the mouth of an immoral woman is a dangerous trap. Those who make the Lord angry will fall into it. So it's not like when you find yourself in that situation, like, I can't believe that it's all lining up, like I've got this opportunity that this person's here and the house is empty and it's just us. Like, it's not like you've stumbled upon luck that you're in that situation. Like, this is actually a moment where it's, it's a trap. This is a consequence. This isn't a place that you want to be. All right, so it's not luck that you find yourself here. Let's see, back to Proverbs 5, uh, 6, 33. It says, he will be wounded and disgraced. His shame will never be erased for the woman's jealous husband will be furious and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation nor be satisfied with a payoff of any size. So don't do it, guys. Come on. What, come on, right? What are we doing here? Let, let's, let's avoid this sin as much as we can. Like be at war, right? I understand I've been there, right? Like, it's something that I continue to have to be on guard against, right? It's not like just because, like, you get married that you're conveniently never tempted anymore, all right? Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit that God wants to continue to bring about in your life, and it's worth it. I'm going to go to some verses in the New Testament in a minute, but let me step aside from this issue of, of lust for a minute. Okay. All right, let's talk about something probably almost as offensive. Let's talk about money for a minute. Okay, here we go. I'm just, I'm just stepping in it today. This is great. Uh, so when it comes to money, I think most people would agree, like, stealing is wrong, right? Like, you shouldn't, like, steal stuff from people. Okay. But what's interesting in the, uh, in the Old Testament, Exodus 20, in the Ten Commandments, right, God gives these commands and some of them, most of them, are behavioral commands. They're, they're commands against certain actions, right? Such as adultery or stealing, right? Or, or these different things. But it's interesting is that one of the commands, it says, you shall not covet. But covet is not an action that could be outwardly observed, right? Coveting, being jealous for someone else's stuff is not something that, right, is going to be like a parent that... Think about this, like if, if, because the nation of Israel is just forming in Exodus 20, if I was starting a nation, I can't make coveting illegal because I would have no means of enforcing that law, right? Like you can't, you can't do it. Like I'm like, you're coveting. Like, no, like I can't see what's going on in your heart. But God is the only one who could write a law like that because he knows the thoughts and intents of all human hearts. Right? God is the only one who could write that law because he's the only one who could enforce it. And when it comes to this matter of greed, right, many would agree that even though some might, might call it like the love of money, that calling it love doesn't somehow make it less sinful. 
right? And calling it the love of money. Most people agree, in, even in our society today, like that's evil. Like greed is the problem with society, right? Like it's popular to come against greed. All right, but God is one who also speaks to sin at the level of the heart, not just the level of action, not just the level of words. And so Jesus actually ups the ante when he speaks about adultery. He says it's not just something that's an action, it's something that happens at the level of the heart. And our culture is not gonna be excited about speaking about sin or lust at the level of the heart. They're excited about the greed thing, right? Like being like, yeah, let's take those people down, but, but no, they're not gonna be as excited about this. So check out Matthew chapter five. This is in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He says this, you have heard the commandment that you must not commit adultery, right? So he's quoting from the Old Testament. Let's see, we got it, good, good, good. All right, he says, but I say to you, right, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus just like ups the ante. He says like, listen, like don't put yourself in some self-righteous category because you've never acted on it, okay? He says, listen, you've already committed adultery in your heart when you dwell on these types of thoughts, right? The moment the temptation comes, temptation isn't the problem. It's whether or not you pursue it. It's whether or not you dwell on it. It's whether or not you just think about it all day long, right? What are you going to do when those moments come? Are you willing to take those thoughts captive and, and pull them down, pull down those strongholds into subjectivity, right, to the, to the throne of Christ, right? That's the question, right? That sin is measured at the heart level, not just at the level of action, all right? And this, this matters. This matters, right? That you will be more free as a single person if you can conquer this, that your marriage will be more blessed and joyful if you can conquer this, right? This is worth it. This is worth it. And Jesus, let me just ask this, right? Because you might be like, I don't like Brian today, but, but Jesus loves you, right? <laughs> right? We probably don't doubt that. Jesus died for you. Jesus doesn't just speak the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is speaking the truth here. And it's not like he loves us, and then, but then there was that one time he told me not to lust. Like, I don't think he loved me then. No, no, no. It's because he loves us that he tells us this. All right? It's, it's out of love that he says this. And he so desperately loves you that, that look how serious he is about this matter of sexual sin in our lives. He says this, verse 29. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Right? Jesus says, all right, don't literally be like gouging. We're not going to have like an offering bucket full of eyeballs here today. But you don't have to do that. But the point is, right, with all seriousness, right, root out this sin in your heart at almost all costs. Right? Jesus, said, right? Jesus loves you. And out of his love, he's telling you this. Out of his love, he's saying this. He's like, listen, this is not something you want in your life. Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you that way. It would be unloving for him to be like, yeah, I don't know, just you know, play with his lust thing. Yeah, it's going to kill you, but whatever. Right? Like, that would be unloving for him to do. And then he continues, right? He says that, uh, and if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. I guess... You can, you can cut off and throw away the first hand. The second hand, you wouldn't be able to throw that very far without... I'm just thinking that right now. Okay, so you can only do this once. You can only throw the first hand you cut off. The next one you just have to let fall to the ground. 
Uh, it says, right, if your stronger hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So Jesus, who loves you more than I do, all right? I love you guys, but Jesus loves you even more, is willing to tell you the truth, full of grace, because he wants you to be free from this matter of sin, right? This is worth it. This is worth fighting for, right? Jesus is not lying here. Jesus loves you, and he's telling you the truth. And so as the worship team comes back up, I just want to show one more verse before I, but I'll tell the story building up the context of it. In John chapter 8, the Pharisees try to catch Jesus in a trap. And they bring before Jesus in this crowd, right, this woman who was caught in adultery. And they're like, Jesus, we got to throw rocks at this woman until she dies, right? Like, that's what we need to do. And like, so like they ask Jesus, they're trying to trap him in his words. Like, what are you going to tell us to do, Jesus? Are we going to kill this woman? Because she was caught in sexual sin. And Jesus, right, like he stoops down on the ground and he's just like drawing in the sand or whatever. And then eventually he stands up and he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Right? And slowly the crowd starts to dissipate, starting from the oldest to the youngest, the ones who realize, yeah, I, that's not me. Right? And they, they walk away. And Jesus is stooping down on the ground, just drawing in the sand, and he eventually like looks around and the crowd is gone. It's just this woman who is in this completely shameful moment, right, just caught, and he stands up, and this is what he asks her, John 8, verse 10. So Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. All right, so I want to point out, if you feel a weight on your heart this morning, Jesus is willing to take that burden. Jesus offers you forgiveness. Jesus is not here to condemn you, right? You can bring this issue to him today, right? That even during these last couple songs or when you get home tonight, right, like get before the Lord and just like confess this before him. If you are sinning against your spouse somehow, go home and confess this to them, right? Like if you are sleeping with your significant other and you're not married, right, talk about this today. Don't let this issue just, right, dissipate. Jesus loves you. He makes forgiveness possible. And Jesus, because he loves you, he also calls you out of a life of sexual sin. He didn't just tell this woman, right, Right, yeah, you know, I don't condemn you. And then like left it at that. He tells her, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. All right, let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that your word is willing to speak truth even in matters of uh, sensitive issues. That God, that you know our hearts, that Lord, you know that we can come into this place this morning and honor you outwardly, but our hearts could be distant from you. I thank you, God, that you are at work in our lives, that you accept us as we are, as we come to you, Lord, that you make grace and forgiveness available. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be stirring in all of our hearts on this matter, as we've heard your word, that you would bring and produce freedom in us, because we know that it is your truth that sets us free. I pray, God, that you would stir up in our hearts that we would pursue holiness, that we who have the hope of seeing you return, Jesus, would purify ourselves just as you are pure. And I thank you, Lord, that this is not a burden that 
we carry on our own, that this is not a fight that we fight alone, but God, that you who have begun a good work in us will bring it to completion. That, Lord, you are working in us to make us more and more like you. And so, Lord, we yield our hearts to you. Perhaps we're offended. I ask that your grace and mercy would cover that offense. Lord, we, we submit to you and your word. We ask that the things that we would reject, that, Lord, you would continue to just gently remind us of and help us to remember what love you have shown, that you died for us when we were your enemies. Just stir up in us, Lord, a need to become more like you, that as a church we would not be hypocrites, but we would experience the freedom that you give and we'd be able to go out and proclaim that freedom to our community. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.